Good morning. Good morning. It is, um, James, what's the date today? It's the first Friday in June. Um, I don't know what that date is. It's like 6th or something. What's what's the date? It is the first Friday in June. It is, no, it's actually, yeah, it's the first Friday in June. So that makes it the 7th of June already. It's pretty close. (laughs) The 7th of June. It's... Uh, it's a monkey podcast sydney australia wherever you are in the world thanks for listening to us remember to subscribe on itunes so you don't miss an episode um and remember to tweet us and email us thanks for some of the feedback and uh, some of the topics that you've sent through seems like um, a lot of you are enjoying some of the interviews and want more tech startup people and you and you enjoy talking about twitter so thanks very much for that please send them through today we got um a show dedicated to africa um as some of you know, I am from South Africa, but besides that, I'm quite interested in Africa in that it's, um, you know, a place of a lot of fast-moving change. There's a lot of the, the fastest-growing economies in the world are actually based in Africa. A lot of opportunity. Where there's a lot of change, there's always a lot of opportunity. And Africa doesn't get covered a lot at all in the tech press and what's happening at TechCrunch last year. I think there was one, the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, there was one startup, I think it was from Ghana. It was a SMS type of startup. But we're going to be talking to Gustav Prekelt, who is the founder of an incubator in Johannesburg, South Africa, that's involved in trying to incubate and and uh, catalyze startups in South Africa. And we had a great chat about all things relating to startups in Johannesburg, South Africa, Africa, and all the unique challenges um, that they had over there. So that's coming up very, very shortly. Um, just some interesting stats coming out of the, the US. Obviously, entrepreneurship is uh, in, in Africa is very much going to be the savior, hopefully, that's, that uh, creates all the value and, 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 and pulls it up by its bootstrap. But James, um, sorry, I don't know if I introduced you. Welcome, as always. Yeah, good, uh, good morning or afternoon, wherever you are. Um, some, some positive news out of the U.S. There's always been doom and gloom, but U.S. entrepreneurship rates hit an all-time high since being tracked in 1999. So um, the percentage of adults involved in startups in 2012, so it's a little bit lagged, hit 13%. Yeah, that's that's crazy. It's a lot higher than I than I expected. Um, it's kind of surprising that there are, there could be that many startups and that many jobs in in startups to to account for that proportion of the of the economy. But um, yeah, no, it's quite an interesting figure. And the interesting thing is that most of these people started these startups. It's in the study notes um, to pursue opportunity rather than out of necessity. Mm. And that comes back to the same old issue that people, what people are actually seeking in life is meaning, you know. And I think when it comes to um, building teams and managing startups and even being a leader of a country, it's just worth really keeping that in mind, you know. And I think that's where economics really falls down, things like GDP and GDP growth. It just oversimplifies a whole heap of... of um, of these hidden metrics that people are seeking meaning. So a lot of these people are looking to, to follow up opportunities, not necessarily out of necessities, necessity. Uh, migrants are a major force in the entrepreneurial scene. Uh, more than 16% of first-generation immigrants started or ran startups in 2012, um, which is pretty high. 
Um, people of all generations are taking a chance in their own businesses and home-based businesses are hot. 69% of new businesses in the U.S. start at home and 59% of established businesses are home-based. So a lot of people like that lifestyle type of business. And of course, as I've said many times in this program, um, a lot of the job growth rate, the real job growth rate in the States, um, I, I don't know about Australia or other countries, but the real job growth rate in the States has been driven by tech startups um, as opposed to the large corporates, which tend to go through cycles of hiring and firing and hiring and firing. So entrepreneurships and, and businesses are really important. In Australia, it's the largest employer in Australia is small business, 2.3 million small businesses, um, which might not be a big number for America, but it's a big number for us in a country of only 23 million people. So um, good to see that entrepreneurship is alive and well. Yeah, and it's probably really indicative of the decreasing cost as well as starting businesses. I think it's, um, you know, probably even 10 years ago, it was a lot more expensive. You know, if you were starting your own business, you couldn't really, before the digital age, you have to do a lot of sort of um, upfront costs were involved. There's, there's, there are very few businesses that you could really start without laying out very much capital. Um, but as that survey said, I think the, the main cost or something of starting off a business was only like $15,000 or something of funding required, um, which is, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But it's, uh, you know, it's such a tiny amount um, that it's really, you know, for many people it's just, you know, it's within easy reach and if they don't have that money they can go get funding. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I think, it's, I, th- I think it is a really important point that um, the cost of doing business has dropped a lot and that you know it's more accessible than ever startup capital it's more accessible than ever uh, more than any time in history by far by leaps and bounds um well you almost almost don't need any kind of funding if it's about that kind of dollar amount you know most of the time you can almost you know grab a few credit cards and that's that's your funding you don't really need any, any actual um Yeah, there's actually a great story by um, Russell Kogan, who's founded one of the big e-commerce stores in Australia, where he started his business with no capital, and he he was a a developer or had some development skills, and he, he wrote a script to apply for multiple credit cards at the same time Mm -hmm. and he got a whole batch of credit cards and he got his first consignment of tvs out of china based on credit cards or something like that you'd certainly have to believe a lot in your business ideas to do something like that (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh, you get into a lot of debt very quickly yeah yeah it's not always not always a smart thing to do um and debt can be stressful Anyway, um, let's go straight into the interview with Gustav Preikolt, and um, we talk about all things relating to tech in Africa, startups in Africa. So stay with us, and we'll be back after this short break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Thanks for joining us. You are back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast where we talk about everything relating to technology and how it affects our world. 
Now, as some of you may know, I hail from the the great continent of Africa many, uh, many years ago, and I still have a, a real fondness for it. And something that I've wanted to cover for quite a while is tech in Africa and startups in Africa. What's going on there? Obviously, they have different challenges, different history, different dynamics, um, you know, very different to, to Sydney or Silicon Valley. Um, so a few months ago, I, I noticed that there was a... Um, a um, a tech hub and a tech incubator that was launched in Johannesburg, and I, I tracked down um, someone who's behind this um, um, foundation and this hub. And uh, on the line from Joburg, I believe you're in Joburg, Johannesburg. Gustav? Hi, Kevin. Yes, I'm currently in Joburg. So from from Johannesburg, I'm speaking to Gustav Gustav Preikult, who's the founder of of the Preikult uh, Foundation and who has been involved in Johannesburg's first tech incubator. And I believe Google Ventures and the Omidia Foundation, and that's, of course, Pierre Omidia from eBay, um, are involved in that um, startup hub as well. Uh, that's right, Kevin. We were really fortunate um, to get the support of a number of organizations and primarily um, Google um, through the Mbonu Accelerator uh, venture um, decided to support uh, and, and I have been supporting entrepreneurship in, in Africa and in South Africa specifically. And then uh, Peer Omidia through the Omidia network, um, we've been really fortunate in getting and having the support over the last couple of years with the Prakul Foundation to help us accelerate the impact of technology in, in Africa. And um, they've been behind and really supporting uh, technology incubators and hubs uh, throughout Africa, um, like the iHub in Nairobi and the CC Hub in Lagos. And um, they came on board as one of our key sponsors a couple of months ago um, to really help us uh, get the, the venture off the ground. And um, I think more importantly, also really help us think through the business model and, and how to scale impact um, for this incubator in, in South Africa. Let's just take a step back before we talk about the incubator and uh, you know your your work with um, you know the, the Google and the and the media network. Give us a picture of tech startups in Africa. You know, even if it's just South Africa, I know um, uh, you know every country in Africa is vastly different, which which is frustrating for us Africans sometimes outside of Africa, where they lump us all together and they say, "Are oh, you from Africa?" and how are things in Africa. But even if you just talk to us about the tech startup scene in South Africa or Johannesburg, often in Sydney and Australia, we complain that there's no early stage venture money, that markets are small, etc. I would imagine that you've got a whole other set of challenges. So paint us a picture of, of what the ecosystem and what's it like in your part of the world. Great, Kevin. Well, um, I it's, as you said, the uh, it's, it's such a content of contrast. We have such incredible need um, for startups to drive um, innovation and to find local solutions to local problems. And on the other side, we have this incredible opportunity. You know, like you said, you know, people always talk about Africa, or very often people talk about Africa as almost like it's one country. And and you know, you see those reports, and they say Africa's got a million, a billion people, and the mobile market is larger than or is growing faster than India or China. Of course, India and China are actually single countries each, and Africa is actually 53 countries. Um, and it comes with all the attendant worries and, 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 and problems. Um, I mean, it's not an aggregated market. It's not as if you can 
create a startup and immediately address the billion people. Um, having said that, we still have this incredible opportunity. And it is, you know, if you look at the growth rates of the various countries, um, I think five out of the six out of the 10 fastest growing countries in the world are actually in Africa at the moment. So it's a, it's a fantastic place to do business, but we've got unique challenges um, in, in growing businesses. Um, so I think um, you, you mentioned a little bit about the, the funding models. Um, what we what we find in, in in terms of venture capital, um, there there is actually in South Africa specifically there is a lot of funding available for very early stage. So um, there there are active angels um, who provide funding um, for really really early stage um, uh, tech entrepreneurs, and obviously mobile is a really interesting space in uh, in this area. But we find that there's a gap between those really early greenfield startups um, with very small investments, usually you know, ex-entrepreneurs or, you know, the tech entrepreneurs themselves to the next stage. Um, once you get to a little bit bigger investments uh, in the, you know, million, $10 million range, they, then and, and the private equity side of things, there's actually a lot of activity there. And, and it's really, um, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's certainly, um, we feel a, a, a much more active space. But that, that middle area is quite hard. And, and it's, I think it's really hard for this really small guys to, to get that next range of funding. Um, so specifically, we, we've seen a lot of those small guys, garage shops starting up and, and then really struggling to get to the next point and, and, and getting to a post-revenue stage uh, with, with a decent second round of financing. And can you, I mean, are there any interesting startups in South Africa at the moment that should be on our radar that are not on our radar? Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I lived in, in South Africa that the tech industry there was uh, a lot more cutting edge than people um, thought it would be. I remember at the time MTN was doing some really interesting things um, in the payment side of things. And I think people don't, uh, don't know that there's a lot of good innovation that happens in that part of the world. Yeah. So I think just in terms of verticals uh, in the mobile space, there are incredible things going on at the moment. There's huge innovation. As you said, MTN uh, was started here. They, they obviously way past the, the, the stage of, of a startup now. They're the fifth largest network operator in, in the world. Um, but we still see in mobile a lot of really interesting innovations happening here. So particularly the area that, that we keep on keeping an eye on at the moment um, for Josiab as well is in the mobile payment space. Um, M-Pesa obviously was invented and uh, launched in Kenya and is now spread to a number of different countries across Africa. But what we see happening now is the mobile payment space is getting really interesting because almost every country has an active, um, successful mobile payments infrastructure. And the next level of innovation is going to be the services that are going to be built on top of that. So um, maybe smaller start startups using the infrastructure um, that's uh, now available to connect these 800 million mobile phone users in Africa and the type of services that, that can be built on top of that when you actually have a wallet in every mobile user's hands, um, we think is going to be incredibly inter interesting. Um, so mobile payments, um, there was uh, just in terms of some of the interesting deals that happened, um, Fundamo um, did a fantastic exit um, towards uh, the end of last year or in last year to Visa for over $100 million. Um, there was a great success story. They were in mobile payments for 10 years and then, and then Visa acquired them. Um, and they were really the, the so, so one of the early innovators in, in, in mobile payment platforms. Uh, they developed MTN's mobile payment platform that, that for instance, launched in Uganda and another uh, number of other countries. And we're seeing some really interesting drivers in that area happening around credit cards, mobile payments and infrastructural um, stuff.
Um, the other area that's really interesting is, I think it's the the same in, in, in other uh, places as well, is the this interesting phenomenon of regional chat platforms. Um, so uh, everybody knows about WhatsApp and, and how they're exploding across uh, the world at the moment. But other interesting ones are ones like Line, um, which is obviously very successful in, 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 in Asia. Um, and WeChat, for instance, is uh, you know outgrowth of the Tencent uh, chat platform. It's now also growing in Africa. And then we've got some homegrown versions, which people might have heard of. Uh, one of them is Mixit, which recently did a, a big private equity deal um, uh, and the other one is Ischemi, which is doing really well in, in Nigeria, and Bainu, which is actually Australian. I don't know if you've heard of them, which is also growing. Their fastest growing market is in Africa. And we think that's that, interesting. That, I haven't heard yeah. of them. Yeah, I'll look them up. Yeah, so and these are really interesting. I mean, these aren't aren't they're not WhatsApp size yet. I mean, we we're not talking hundreds of millions of users, but uh, Mixer has got over ten million users. Uh, to Go has got over ten million users. Bainu, I think, is very close to ten million users now. Um, and what we find is these. What I find particularly fascinating is that there obviously is there are regional differences in how people want to use these instant messaging platforms. And um, I think a while back people thought, well, it's going to be just one platform to rule them all, you know, like a WhatsApp or, or BBM even did really well for a while. But um, we just seem to see a lot of regional players doing really well. Um, the question, of course, is what what is the business model for a chat platform and how that's going to work. But I think that's going to be really interesting um, in, in Africa. Mixit, of course, has been around for a long time, hasn't it? It was almost one of the, the original chat yeah, plays. Yeah, one of the original ones. Yeah, they. I mean, that's now six years later. They they did a big private equity deal um, last year um, when they bought out of MIH. MIH, of course, has got a, a small percentage in, um, in te- well, actually a very large percentage in Tencent and a small percentage in Facebook, I believe. Um, so the, um, and Mixer's gone, really gone up and down. They, they I think they're around about 10 million active users at the moment. They had a huge uh, cash injection. Um, they really need to reinvent their front end, but still a, a major player. The, the nice thing about them is they actually have a payment they have a, a payment solution. They can they can take cash from the end users, um, which means they can build a secondary market on top of their chat platform for micropayments, um, which is obviously a, a very interesting uh, play for them. So, um, ten, it, it, ten million are, the, are those all South African users? Uh, no, they um, it's majority of South African users. That's um, pretty impressive. They, I don't think. Th- yeah, they didn't break out their numbers. They, they've been fairly flat over the last year. Um, so everybody's really waiting with bated breath to see how they're going to um, how they're going to grow in this year and whether they can, you know, and I think they're the big competitors, they're obviously BBM, WhatsApp, and WeChat, and to see how they take on those competitors and, and how they do and whether they can grow beyond Africa. Um, they certainly, certainly were one of the first players and they, and they have a, a tremendous product. I think what what I find interesting about um, South African entrepreneurship, you know, especially being someone who's who now doesn't live in the country, is you realize that a country like South Africa, um, people actually have a larger propensity for risk than in a country like Australia. Um, the reasons for that, I guess, are, are are many. I mean, it's 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 similar, I guess, to um, you know the Israeli entrepreneurs that that it's they grow up in a more volatile environment is is one reason I think which lends them to being more inherently comfortable with risk. I think another reason is that. Um, 
in a country like Australia, you, you, you can live a good life on a corporate job and a corporate salary. And there's a lot of those type of opportunities. But I think in a country like um, South Africa, on all sort of levels of society, being an entrepreneur, the payoffs are, are, are really large, even ranging from the vendor on the street right through to, to someone who, who doesn't want to have the corporate job. And I, I, I read an article recently about the, you know all the successful South African entrepreneurs in the States, whether it's Elon Musk or... Um, Rulof Boerter or, or people like that mm-hmm. and and even in Australia they've done well and so it, it's I'm quite fascinated by the entrepreneurial spirit which seems to be a little bit more part of the DNA there than it is in a in, in a in a place like Australia interestingly enough mm. well, I, well I agree with you I mean I, I don't I, you know <laughs> the, the old driver between South Africa and Australia I don't I don't really uh, I can't say too much about Australia I don't know um, how entrepreneurial people are there. I can speak for countries in Africa. Um, I, you know, travel all over Africa. We have um, offices and, and we work in West Africa, Nigeria and Kenya. And I certainly believe um, Africans and specifically South Africans and, and, and Nigerians and Kenyans are some of the most entrepreneurial people in the world. Um, and you just need to be in any market or um, do business um in, in any of these places in in uh, Africa to be to be to to be able to notice that now the one thing that um, I mean the reasons for that could be quite interesting but I think uh, one of the really important things to remember about Africa is that people have uh, they're very how could I put this um, they're very few sources of I mean it's a very unstable environment for a business person and I think that creates a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs to be able to make money now it doesn't mean there aren't other stable jobs available but it is it is very hard to predict um you know what uh, fi- what financial situation is going to be you, you have huge variations in 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 um uh, uh, money uh, transfers for instance and in 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 uh, cash uh, and in forex which makes it very hard for users to um to to plan their businesses but i think that causes entrepreneurs to be more effective and and just be more uh, willing to take risks it's um yeah it's it's certainly yeah, interesting i mean are, are, are entrepreneurs like yourself i mean are you guys backed up by any level of government be it local or, or national i would imagine that you know the, the, the you guys should really be valued in terms of um you know the catalyzing that you're doing um it's always a hard look, one look i think we're yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, I think I think there's certainly the intention. Um, you know, there's there are um, there are actually I, I don't know if I could say there's a huge support for that. I think you know people toe the party line. There's a lot of discussion about entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurialism is is an entrepreneurship is a is a great thing for the continent. I don't really see. I mean. It's almost oxymoron, right? I mean, the the whole idea of on, uh, entrepreneurship and and government control. I don't really see how those work together. Um, what entrepreneurs need would be an, an environment that's stable, good legal protection for for your patents and for the work that you do, a stable um, you know uh, a stable government really, and and uh, forex and a way to to do business. That's really what entrepreneurs need. I mean, apart from that. Um, and and maybe some tax breaks. Um, I don't know whether. I mean, if you look at the the great example of 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 startups, um, Silicon Valley, 
is it really government support that may possible? Some people might say it's actually the, the quite the opposite. What you need is good universities coupled with you know supply of cash and and, and investment and a market to sell it in. So um, I think we have we have many of those things available in Africa uh, now. Um, certainly with the opportunity of being able to aggregate the market, people finally realizing that it is a, it, it will soon be a single market and in, in terms of selling your services. Um, I think things like Bitcoin are incredibly interesting. Um, you know, people kind of underestimate the power. People think of it as a replacement for cash, but as Africans think about Bitcoin as something that'll just tie the content together because for the first time it'll be possible to build a service and actually bill people uh, on their mobile phones throughout the continent. I think those type of opportunities are going to be really interesting once we see this market coalesce into uh, into aggregated markets. Because I think like getting a, a payment gateway to accept credit cards online, would I would imagine for many uh, businesses in Africa would be incredibly uh, difficult to get a merchant facility, to get a payment gateway, to link it up with their account. It's, it's, it wouldn't be a straightforward thing to do for many businesses. Uh, um, sort of online entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in, oh, yeah. in, in Africa. I mean, so. even worse, PayPal won't even make payments to all the countries in Africa, let alone, I mean, we're not even talking about a merchant gateway. You can't, you can't, Visa won't, won't connect to you. PayPal won't make remittances to you. Um, uh, one of the things that I find so amazing about Bitcoin is that it's suddenly, I mean, there are, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but it, but I believe it's almost half the countries in Africa that that currently are just outside of that financial system for for smaller uh, uh, vendors. And I think uh, Bitcoin is going to completely revolutionise that um, uh, for for many. You know, people talk a lot about Bitcoin and 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 a lot of these other alternative currencies as a means for uh, the more shady part of the economy to to be able to transact. But they forget that we we excluding more than half the world's population. I mean, you know, people talk about the developed world. I, I like the, world, uh, the word majority world. I mean, the majority of the global population lives in the global south. So if you, if you take China, India, Africa, and, and parts of South America, that's, that's five or six billion of the, of the world's population. And that's the majority of the world, and many of those people are completely excluded from any kind of electronic commerce um, because PayPal won't connect with them, and Visa won't connect with them, and MasterCard won't connect with them. So um, I think Bitcoin is only the start of a revolution that's going to make it possible for people to, to transact. Look, I mean, if anything, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin puts it on the agenda for discussion, and I think that would, you know, because there's exactly. still in, there's still inherent, you know, problems with it, the volatility around it, and and all sorts of other issues. But I mean, it it almost makes sense for the, you know, various countries in Africa to to um, get together and almost create their own payment type of system. And I think in these areas of of of, of inherent structural failures, where I see governments can actually play a role in putting in the structures and the pillars and the the lattice so to speak for commerce to occur yeah i mean i think just i think maybe coming or being in australia or being in the developed world we see it a lot differently i mean i i don't expect and entrepreneurs in africa don't expect governments to necessarily create these payment structures as a matter of fact there's a huge level of distrust um you know, if in many countries, look, things are looking a, a lot more interesting now uh, and a lot better. In the last five years, um, most of the elections happening in Africa have 
uh, if not gone off without a hitch, at least have, have ended um, in a le- relatively uh, safe and fair way. I mean, Kenya is a great example of that. The Ghana elections, uh, Nigerian elections, um, all going down much better than people had expected. And I think that really provides a, a level of, of comfort and at least optimism for entrepreneurs that want to make a long-term bet um, but like I said, by putting all your wealth and, and, and your future into a venture that you want to start. Um, and political stability is a, is a really important component of that. Whether we trust governments necessarily to, to provide us with, uh, with all the rest of the infrastructure, I don't know um, whether, whether that's really going to, you know, whether that's what the expectation is. I think network operators are a great example of, uh, or carriers have, have made a much larger impact in providing the infrastructure for entrepreneurs to be able to connect with their consumers. Um, I mean, if you, I, I, th- I think people un- mis- uh, underestimate what an incredible revolution it's been. I mean, if you think about it, 15 years ago, um, when I started my first business, like 12 years, 15 years ago, there were, in the entire Africa, there were less than 20 million mobile uh, connected users, and now we've got 800 million of them. It's just, it's just unbelievable, actually. I remember about um, 12 years ago. I remember I was teaching a course at uni, and um, one of the facts was that there are more telephone lines. And this was at the time, whenever 1999 or somewhere around there, there were more telephone lines in the World Trade Center in New York than there were in the entire Africa, apparently. So, Good grief! That's so, uh, a scary statistic. So, well, now, now, now we can throw around numbers like there are more phones, uh, more phones in Uganda than light bulbs. You know, it's. Uh, it's. I mean, where, where, where? You know, I think, I think, and it's, 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 it's a separate discussion about the whole government area. But you know, in, in, you know, I mean, what South Africa's unemployment rate running now? I mean, it's always what thirty, forty percent, a ridiculous. Uh, yeah, the official. Well, that's always a problem. Again, do you trust the official statistics? I can tell you, youth and um, uh, youth official youth unemployment in South Africa is over fifty percent now. Okay, so. Uh, and now if you, I know it's not comparing apples with apples, but if you take, you know, in the States, most, nearly all of the real job growth in the last 20, 30 years has come from startup companies, you know, not the established companies. It's um, mm-hmm. the established companies sort of ebb and flow, fire and higher. And, and the real growth comes from the, the new startup companies. And with the continent where I would imagine one of the biggest problems is unemployment, the answer is entrepreneurship, you know, in, in, so, yep, many, in so many ways. Well, definitely, you can look at it. I mean, let's let's take those type of numbers and let's say we we conservatively maybe thirty to forty percent, and and probably more than that in in most countries in Africa are unemployed. There's no way, and that's and that's why I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be negative, but I just do not believe that, that the, the scale of the problem is so huge that we cannot expect government to solve that problem. Um, there's no way forty uh, percent of the population. Um, that is currently unemployed is going to find jobs uh, in formal employment. It's just it's just not possible. Um, and remember, I think the other thing people forget is that we have a huge demogra- demographic bulge in Africa that right now is coming of age. We have a massive cohort of, 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 of youth, and, and that was really a dividend of all the great health programs that were kicked off over the last 20, 30, 40 years in Africa. And that demographic bulge is just hitting the age of 18 right now. That means we've got maybe 100 million people across Africa suddenly turning 18, expecting to have jobs, expecting you know a better life, and expecting to be able... And remember, they're now plugged into the global, global youth culture. They listen to Rihanna and to global youth culture, and they get global news, and they expect those same things. 
and do, are we providing them with a platform and, 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 and a place to be able to build better lives? Now, you, I don't believe government can solve that problem. The only way that problem can be solved is through, like you said, through, through um, small, medium, micro enterprises and through entrepreneurship. Um, and, um, that's, and that's the reason why we you know, support and, and started uh, ventures like Josia to provide the mentorship and, and at least infrastructure for young entrepreneurs to be able to start their own businesses and, and, and create their own wealth. Gustav, tell us a little bit about Josie Hub. Um, what's it about? And I mean, it's a little while ago. It's a few months that it's mm-hmm. launched already. How's it gone? So it's a um, technology uh, startup uh, incubator. Um, we launched uh, two months ago. We believe that the power of mobile and technology and, and, and the internet will transform Africa, that there's a huge new class of uh, connected uh, consumers and people in Africa that are just um, just dying to 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 consume and to build new services, and we also think there's a new class of entrepreneur um, that can build on top of this framework and this network uh, of of uh, mobile infrastructure. And the Josie Hub was specifically launched. Um, it's part of a larger hub of of, uh, of uh, technology hubs in in, in Africa. Um, and as I said, it la- launched in February. And what we look for is early stage startups um, that we can provide a co-working space for mentorship. Um, we can provide role models um, and we can provide training and tools um, for them to take their startups from that very early stage um, and grow them beyond that to get to the next level of investment. And we think a large part of that is not only the financial side, but uh, we think it's really important for them to get mentorship and um, and also to just see role models. Um, we think there's a really big gap in, in Africa um, with youngsters that come out of um, universities and think that the the easiest way for them to make a living is to go and work for a large company. And we want to show them that entrepreneurship is a, is a viable option. It's not necessarily an easy option, but it's a viable option for creating real wealth. And I think in a bigger scheme of things also, it's a fantastic way um, to solve real problems in Africa. Um, and that is for local entrepreneurs to look at their own communities to see what the need is and, and to build solutions um, in those uh, communities. Well, it's really great that um, you know Google Ventures and the Media Network has have gotten behind you because I mean, with with a bit of sort of uh, financial breathing space, it's, I'm sure it allows you to get a little bit of uh, good momentum up front. Yeah, exactly. So, um, also to that point, um, we are actually a, a nonprofit, um, and, but. Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, we are a social enterprise, and like a friend of mine, Kevin Starr, uh, always says, a social enterprise is a is an enterprise that doesn't lose <laughs> too much money. Um, we we certainly intend to to break even. We want to be sustainable. Um, we need a bit of runway to be able to do that. Um, we we're building some interesting models in uh, for sustainability into the venture. Um, we look for um, any type of young entrepreneur and startup. Um, we believe entrepreneurship inherently has a social impact. Um, so they don't necessarily just have to be social entrepreneurs. Um, and in terms of the, the one thing that we believe we can bring to the party, which is quite unusual, is we believe the breakthrough will come for a lot of these enterprises when they can aggregate the demand of users across Africa. Um, and that's something we, we spoke about a little bit earlier, is U.S. entrepreneurs can assume there's a global internet audience that is connected via um, 
uh, credit cards, you know, like iTunes. Um, you, they, every single person buying songs on iTunes uh, has got a credit card. You can't, the, the, the penetration credit cards is just almost nothing in Africa. And by aggregating the network operators and the demand across those, we can hopefully provide a market to young entrepreneurs and so that you can be a startup with a couple of employees and build a viable business um, and that you can address a larger market. I'm, uh, I, I think South Africa and Africa is very lucky to have such a passionate entrepreneur like you um, um, involved in these activities. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I'm passionate because, uh, you know, every day th there's nothing better than, than getting up and seeing these uh, young startups and the incredible ideas I've got, uh, they've got um, to, to solve the problems. I mean, it's just, uh, that's really where the enthusiasm comes from. And I'm just lucky to, to be able to provide a space for them to, to do that. Um, I mean, since our launch, we've had over 80 applications of, uh, of companies. Uh, we're hosting Google I.O. Um, this week. And during this week, we're also making our first selection for the first intake of, of companies. So we're super excited to see um, where with where they're going to go and the and the type of business they're going to they're going to build. Um, I also maybe something I would like to mention is uh, we are very open for collaborations. Um, we're always looking for mentors. Um, and you know we're having a Skype chat here. You're on a completely different time zone. Um, the, the, I don't think people sometimes understand how much of an impact you can have by just being a casual mentor or having a you know, a chat every every month or so with a with a young startup and giving some pointers. So if you've got an audience that that, that is listening, um, if people want to get involved, um, they should come to josiehub.org um, and check it out and sign up and get involved. And uh, we certainly are looking for entrepreneurs and role models who who even at a distance or from the developed world would like to get involved and um, and mentor and be role models for for our uh, entrepreneurs. Well, I think I think. Um Hopefully, you'll get a nice response to that. Um, you know, if, particularly if they don't need to be on the ground in in Africa. I think there's a lot of people in in, in the um, you know in, in in Australia, in the states. That's uh, one of the challenges in these countries is um, not abundance, but meaning. And uh, sometimes in Africa, the opposites, you know, there's a lot, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of meaning, but less abundance. So we can, we can sort of help each other along those lines. And I'll definitely put all mm -hmm. the details up on the, um, on, the, on the show notes. And if anyone wants to help be a mentor and, um, you know, provide um, insight over Skype, um, I, I think that's, you know, what, what a wonderful contribution. At the, at, at the end of the day, um, success in any part of the world trickles back to all of us somehow, somewhere, particularly in the tech space. I mean, even if, you know, exactly. the, the world is so short of developers. I mean, if, 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 if Africa starts, you know, churning out more developers, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, you, you know, grows the, the ecosystem. And so it's everything exactly. fe feeds off on each other. And and I think that's that's such a good point. I mean, the 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 global tech um, community is is so connected. I mean, something like GitHub completely transformed our ability in Africa to first of all find great developers. Um, remember, those networks just aren't as developed in Africa. And just just by having GitHub, and I mean, I can the magic of GitHub is that I can look at something like Nigeria or Kenya, and I can see all the Python developers that have submitted code to open repos, and I can have a look at their code. And those developers 
can immediately plug into the global Python open source community and see the amazing projects that, that have been open sourced like Django and see the best developers at work. I think that has, would never, I mean, that, that is just such an amazing uh, space to be in to have that, that flow of knowledge. Um, yeah, and, and just as a, are you still with us? Sorry, I am. Yeah, so I think I think we uh, we just got uh, bandwidth in Africa is not always the best. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to uh, just 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 state there that I think the global tech community uh, and 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 tools like GitHub, for instance, are really providing us with incredible ways for for developers to learn. And the one thing I think which is really interesting and important for people in the developed world to realize as well is a lot of a lot of innovation comes from constraints and from being an environment, a resource-constrained environment, really interesting developments like mobile payments, um, like prepaid um, or prepaid mobile phones or even um, please call me's or, or, or various other innovations around, uh, around frugal uh, usage of resources can be extremely useful for developed uh, countries as well and for engineering ventures in, 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 in other countries. So I don't think the flow of information necessarily always has to be one way. Um, I don't believe Africa will be a basket case. I think it's the most interesting and the most exciting continent to be on the planet at the moment i think the most interesting problems are here to solve and i think a lot of and i think that's i i guess what i'm saying as well if if, if people are out there and they, and they and they listen to this and they think about africa is think not just only what they can provide in terms of mentorship but what they can learn in such an interesting place where we'll see an entire generation of people suddenly becoming part of the world economy i think it's going to be an amazing ride over the next 10 20 years and I think if people people are looking for somewhere to visit, you know, I think also as an entrepreneur, um, I know I'm always looking for new inspiration and shifting my brain and getting insights. Africa, if you haven't been there, and you know, I can only spe speak of South Africa. It's the only country that I'm very familiar with in in Africa. But it's it's a fantastic place that really will give you a lot of fresh perspectives and forget all the stereotypes of the you know, the famines and the wars and the chaos, you know, it, it is only one lens and one aspect of a fantastic place. And head over there and connect with people like you and start seeing what's going on in the exactly. industries and the people. And, and, and it's, it's actually a lot easier to connect with people like you in, in, in a place like South Africa. There's a lot, there's a lot more openness and, and willingness to collaborate. Exactly. And it's a, it's a great continent to visit. It's a great country to visit. Um, I know you know South Africa, um, but anybody who, who wants to come, uh, we have great fiber. It's a great office environment. Um, uh, it's a great place to, to get to know some of the young entrepreneurs. It's a great base to, at which to start to go and explore the rest of Africa and to see what, what the next generation of, of, of African entrepreneurs is going to be doing. And we actually have one of our developers is uh, based in in Cape Town actually, and um, on on our managed Flutter product. And um, really, yeah, yeah, based in Cape Town uh, originally from Joburg. Well, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point. I don't know if uh, people on this call will know it, but uh, Amazon Web Services was originally developed in South Africa uh, by uh, Amazon team and by two South Africans who came back and then built a team out in Cape Town. I mean, Cape Town is a glorious place to to. Um, to 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 work from and yeah the original core team was based out of Cape Town and built the original proof of concept for Amazon Web Services before before it uh, you know exploded into the the monster it it is at the moment um, but there is really a, a great uh, technology community across um, Africa and uh, 
and a great place to come and work and, and, and start businesses. I, I mean, that's an important, you know, interesting um, fact to, to know. I think that in that article I read about South Africans in, in the States, if, if I'm not correct, I can't remember um, the chap's name, but he's ex-Microsoft, that's the AWS guy that landed up building AWS. Is, is, am I thinking correctly? I, I believe so. And I think Chris Pinkham, um, he's actually now, well, they just had another piece of good news. They, they actually, what's really interesting, they f uh, started uh, Nimbula and, um, and they right. got, yeah. Uh, yeah. and funny thing is they got, they got uh, equity out. from, uh, yeah, they just got bought yeah. out, but they got funding from Sequoia, which is also Rule of Buerta, another ex-South African. So, um, and they just got bought out now. So, and, and just did an exit, which is really, you know, congratulations to them and a, and a, and a great story just from there. And interesting enough, they had a split engineering team uh, between uh, that one team in, in, in Mountain View uh, in San Francisco and one team in Cape Town. I didn't know. I didn't know it was that there was such a strong connection. I did read that article, and I saw you know one of the leads was um, ex South African, ex Microsoft, but I didn't know it was actually built out um, in Cape Town. That's fascinating because of course AWS, um, Amazon Web Services, it really in many ways runs the internet at the moment, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Well, actually, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, so here's an interesting challenge. So if, if anybody's got an idea how we can solve this problem, Amazon, Web, Amazon does not have any clusters in Africa. So there's a huge barrier for us. And so a lot of things like almost, I mean, in a, in a way, like you said, Amazon is becoming kind of the operating system of the internet. I mean, that's maybe putting it strongly, but how many startups were, were capable of, of scaling like that? Like all those Y Combinator startups that, you know, with two or three people could start something up, go onto Amazon and, and scale out their businesses. Now, that's a challenge for us in Africa because there are no, I mean, we can host um, in Amazon, but none of the clusters are in Africa, which means if we, you want to do something interesting like distributing video in Africa or if you want to distribute audio, if you want to stream, that's a real challenge. Um, and so is, uh, if anyone's got, got ideas about, you know, how to build out those kind of CDNs and, and, and the equivalent of, of Amazon in Africa, that, that would be an interesting space to innovate in. Gustav, it's a fascinating conversation. We could keep going for hours, but let, let's leave it at that for today. But let's let's check in in a few months. I'd like to hear how the progress is going. I'm going to put a few mm -hmm. call-outs for, for mentors and, and people to sort of Definitely. you know partner with you guys. And I'll reach out as well. And uh, really appreciate your time. And um, really, good, good luck with it all. It's, uh, it's, um, you're at the beginning of a, a really interesting time. And I agree, over the next 10 years, 20 years, are going to be interesting things happening uh, in, in Africa. And I hope it's... I hope it just continues to, uh, you know, shine. It, des it, deserves, it deserves a bit of uh, good karma coming back its way. Exactly. And I think uh, it's uh, such a exciting content to be in. So many interesting um, things happening. Um, so many warm people and so much incredible opportunity. That's, uh, it's, uh, there's nowhere else on the, on the planet I'd like to be. And uh, thank you for the time. Um, thank you for helping us uh, tell the story. And um, as I said, we are extremely interested in, in hearing about mentors and other people that would be interested in, in, in coming to South Africa and, and helping us build out these, uh, these startups. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll we'll do what we can on our end. Um, Gustav Preikult, the founder of the Preikult Foundation, um, home of Josie Hub. Appreciate your time, and um, yeah, all the best to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, from Sydney. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Gustav. Bye bye. Take care. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. 
find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James, that was a pretty extensive interview, and Gustav absolutely... I mean, he's passionate about it, and I think South Africa and Africa is very lucky to have someone so committed to developing entrepreneurship in Africa. Yeah, he's doing a lot of interesting things. Seems to have a lot of uh, a lot of interesting projects going on. I mean, I don't really personally have that much of an understanding about what the environment would be like over there. Um, when how, when was the last time you went back? Have you been back for a while? I was last time there. I was lucky enough to go for the World Cup in two thousand and ten. Um, which is so three years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's hard for people that um, you, you know haven't been to Africa to to understand it. I think there's a lot of fear. Understandably, they hear a lot of stories about crime and um, famine, and and it's look, it it is highly complex. But the the flip side, you know, the the is that the opportunity there is just absolutely it's it's huge yeah i guess it would open open people's minds up to different ideas they wouldn't necessarily you know i think obviously in sort of western successful or not successful is around the word but with very prosperous economies you know there's you sort of have very constrained ideas and you're, you're very focused on making money and i think that probably uh, reduces the number of possibilities you can think of. Um, I mean, I was reading um, an article yesterday about all of the sort of homegrown inventors that come out of China. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a very different economic situation, but it's still, you know, lots of people are sort of scrounging and becoming sort of entrepreneurial to sort of lift themselves out of out of um, difficult situations. And, yeah, you do see the most sort of inv- amazing inventions come out of that environment, you know, people sort of building their own helicopters and just crazy stuff that I think, you know, people here just wouldn't think of. But when that's your passion and, and you don't have any other way to do it, um, you know, you, you find ways to make it work. And, yeah, it can be being really interesting yeah it's almost like uh, you know i don't know if this is a uh, this is my created word but it's almost like a subsistence entrepreneurship mm. you know and um, and definitely one of australia's big challenges ironically is the fact that it's so prosperous and it's mm. so stable you know it'd be to 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 and jobs are are, are quite um, secure and it's it's you know, through adversity, uh, it, it brings out interesting aspects of humanity and entrepreneurship is tied into all of that. Yeah, I guess when, when an economy is so prosperous, you end up on working on problems that the problems that you face and the, uh, are the ones that you tend to work on and the problems you face, you know, they're not really life changing things. You know, it's like making X a little bit easier than it used to be mm. type thing. So, yeah, I think it probably narrows the scope of those ideas, um, which yeah, is quite, quite an interesting idea. So I think that, you know, like people like the Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, where they do look at, you know, the big ideas, obviously, they got all that, that money behind them. But, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. but, you know, South Africa is very tied in with, um, there is a lot of technical knowledge there. It is a very sophisticated, um, there's a banking industry, tech industry, mining industry, you know, and people like we've said many times, Elon Musk and Rudolf Boerter and um, even Mark Shuttleworth, I think, was the original one. Do you know Mark Shuttleworth? No, I haven't heard of him. Um, he was, 
he had a company called um, it was bought by Verisign for like I think it might have even been a billion dollars. Like it was a wow. big, big, and and he built it in a in a um, garage in Cape Town. It was a secure certificate company. Thought Thought oh, certificates. Okay. Yep, that's his company. Oh wow, yeah, it's a huge company. Yeah. and of course now he's now he's behind Ubuntu. Oh okay, and wow. that's how it's got the African name Ubuntu, which, uh, which essentially means yep. community. So, cool for a little complicated country. Um, it's lots come out of it. Yeah, it, lots has come out of it. So, and it's definitely by people being squeezed in interesting ways. Yeah, I saw there was um, on a slightly related note. I saw there was um, an interesting uh, project by Google recently. They're they're putting um, wireless into into dirgibles. Um, is that the right pronunciation? When you dirgibles like hot air balloons, like I don't know, never. Never, never unfamiliar that with that. Unfamiliar with that. Um, anyway, so not not hot air balloons like the Hindenburg. You know the whatever. Oh, um, airships. Air, yeah, airships. I guess. Yeah. Blimps. Blimps. That's the word. Blimps. Yes. <laughs> um, they're putting uh, wireless into blimps because obviously there's a you know a coverage problem ah, in terms right. of actually getting accessibility. And you know Google, they want everybody to have access to the internet, and you know affects sell the more bottom ads. line. Exactly, yeah. So more ads. So they're they're approaching this problem in new ways, and essentially they're trying to lobby the government to allow them to use um, television signal channels to actually transmit internet data because you can travel much further distances on those kind of wavelengths. And yeah, they're, they're planning to essentially just float a whole series of blimps um, across Africa. And provide uh, wireless coverage that way. I'm just not. It's not clear if that's going to be Wi-Fi. I wouldn't imagine that would work in the same way. But it would be probably a similar technology. And yeah, it would just give much, um, much greater coverage on uh, on higher bandwidth signals. And yeah, it's a very, very interesting approach to the problem. It is an interesting approach to the problem. And you know, one of the one of the things when you travel in Africa is you see that the spirit of entrepreneurship is not. It's not a capitalist creation. Mm. You know, it's a human, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a human, you know, it's, there, there's something natural about um, adding value and seeing opportunity and wanting to lift yourself up. And it was, you know, being living in South Africa during the transition from, you know, moving from a police state essentially to a, norm, a more open country you you saw that almost it, it went through a phase where suddenly street vendors started selling things on the streets and started mm, doing haircuts on the streets because before that you know the 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 security police and all the rest you, you know it really was a police state hmm. and in many ways and you would actually just just see how that would sort of blossom and flourish and how they you know the the one vendor would you know, maybe bundle apples and oranges and, <laughs> and, and, and stuff that, you know, the stuff that we do is just, it's just a different bundle of goods, essentially. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that, that must have been very interesting watching those barriers sort of get broken down. It was very interesting and it's still a very interesting country. And of course, we got Charles who develops for us in, in Cape Town. So maybe, maybe we can have a managed Flitter social media conference there one day. Yep, Cape Town social media. To work well on our way back from Davos. <laughs> have we booked our Davos tickets yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet. I have to get on that. I have to book my private jet to to the location. The manage as well. the manage the flitter jet. Manage flitter jet. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. I think that's it for episode number 21. We're getting up there into the episode. So we've been around a little while. So we appreciate the support. And we appreciate if you tell a friend or two, just send them a tweet, send them an email. If you enjoyed this, um, let them enjoy it too. We'd like to keep these podcasts going. So from Kevin and James, thanks for listening. We will see you in two weeks. And of course, we are probably going to... um, one of us is going to be in Sydney and one of us is going to be in New York. So we're going to be bringing some lots of nice stories from the ground in New York City. Yep. Opposite sides of the world. Opposite sides. From both sides. Up, exactly. <laughs> Full coverage. Uh, how many time zones? I was reading an article on uh, jet lag today and, and they still recommend one day per time zone recovery. So it's about 16 time zones between mm. Sydney and New York. Wow. Two weeks, two weeks time, you'll be, be recovered then. It's yeah, it's um, man, if you can work that one out, now that's a nice problem to solve. Um, and they're doing some new interesting research on 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 mice, I see, and they've they've worked out a few a few things. One of the things, the bad news is, as you get older, your body clock deteriorates, so mm. it becomes harder. The one thing they note, I know we're saying goodbye, but the one <laughs> thing that they they said that it's harder to f- most people struggle going from east to west mm. but I actually find it hard harder coming from west because you lose you time go, you right, gain lose time time if you go east to west no you you gain time if you go east to west you lose time if you go west to east you're going back in time so if no, you go from Sydney to the states you gain time gain time yep right yep Unless I've got my idea, unless I read the article wrong but I, I always find when, when you lose time it's harder right mm-hmm yeah, I don't know. I always find either way. I find trips hard because I can never sleep on planes. Yeah. So I end up staying hard. up for like two days. Yeah, <laughs> it is hard. The, US, so. the one thing that they have clinically proven that helps is um, starving yourself. Oh to, wow! And starving yourself while you're flying there, or the day before you fly, yeah. and then getting into normal meal times because they find that they found that food that the food okay. cycles are very tied in yeah. with. There's not your brains exactly clock or whatever. There's not Mm. just there's not just the sleep cycle. Apparently, all your organs have cycles. Okay, so Mm, interesting. That's the one thing. Anyway, we digress. We were saying goodbye to you, so goodbye, and we will catch you in two weeks. Have a good one.